This is the SFF Audio Podcast. This is Jesse. And I'm Scott. (laughs) (laughs) So I uh, uh, invited Brian to come on the show. He's uh, probably not coming on today. Oh, Uh, okay. Because he doesn't have a microphone. So Ah. embarrassing. So embarrassing. (laughs) Oh, I've got Skype now, but no microphone. (laughs) We could need a uh, microphone too. (laughs) We could we could stream his um, text. Yeah, that's a great idea. If you want the show to be seven hours in a in a video podcast. Uh, yeah, video video, but no audio. It'd be closed-captioned uh, podcasting. That's right. That'll be good uh, stuff. Well, maybe they do it somewhere, but not not here. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's SFF video, although that's SFF a good idea for video. our website. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, we Quick, got a couple... get the domain name. Hurry! <laughs> <laughs> hurry, man, hurry! Uh, already got. There we go. No. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's it's like a movie channel or something. I don't know. Right. Yep. Uh, YouTube. Lots <laughs> of YouTube on SF <laughs> you know, Signal. <laughs> uh, yeah, they like YouTube. Uh huh. Nothing sure, wrong with yeah. a little bit of YouTube, but you don't want right. to be you know. Yep. Yep. Well, I got uh, two new releases for you. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is called. The January Dancer right. by Michael Flynn, read by Stefan Rudnicki, uh, came in from Blackstone Audio. Now, Michael Flynn is the guy who wrote Eiffelheim, which mm-hmm. we reviewed, or I reviewed a little while back. Um, that one was about, a, in the 1300s, it was about a priest, and then there was kind of a contemporary uh, timeline going on with the physicist, and there were aliens, and uh, it was cool. Now, when you say you have it from me, what you actually mean is, you, is you're giving it to Julie, right? Uh, already done. It's already been dispatched. <laughs> right. So, what a tease you are. What a tease. <laughs> you bet. Um, shall I tell you what it's about? Sure. Go for it. All right. It's um, Tease me some more. It is a space opera with stunningly successful results. Do you know more than that? It's bragging. It's bragging about itself. Boy. (laughs) The January Dancer tells the fateful story of an ancient pre-human artifact of great power and the people who found it. Starting with Captain Amos January, who quickly loses it, and then the others who fought, schemed, and killed to get it, we travel around the complex, decadent, brawling, mongrelized interstellar human civilization that the artifact might save or destroy. Collectors want the dancer, pirates take it, rulers crave it, and all will kill, if necessary, to get it. This is the thrilling yarn of love, revolution, music, and mystery, and it ends, as all great stories do, with a shock and a beginning. Mm. That is it. Sounds good. So it's a, it's a space opera. Yeah. By Michael Flynn, about an object... A pre-human artifact. Big dumb object. That says... Uh, Quick, what, get, get the domain ba- name. Get bagels. <laughs> get bagels. 
Uh, quick, get, get the domain name. Uh, already taken. Somebody else has it. <clears throat> right. Yeah, it sounds good. How come Julie gets it? How, how'd she because get that? Because she requested it a long, long time ago. She said she saw that the January Dancer was uh, a new release somewhere and said, ooh, I'd love to have that. And Yeah, but I've been here longer than her, so... Well, that's true. That's true. And 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 I I want it more. <laughs> Can't you get it back from her? I I, I will talk to her. All right. And, thank you. Um, <laughs> all right. And the other one we got in is Earthfall by Orson Scott Card. Hmm. Which and one it is, is series? This then? is book book four of in the Homecoming series. Um, we've talked about this several times because okay. we've had a lot of a lot of the ones from this series come in. Right. Um, again, it's hard to read the back of these because, you know, in a series you're spoiling the other ones by reading the back of uh, book four. Mm. So be careful. Um, be careful. <laughs> So I think it's suffice to say this is book four in the Homecoming series, and we've talked about the Homecoming series at least twice. And this um, is the series on the based on uh, the Book of Mormon? The Book of Mormon, yeah. Okay. Right. That's the one. Got it. That is the one. Got it, got All it, got right. it. Speaking, speaking of uh, biblically related texts, mm -hmm. um, I just finished um, the Book of Lies. Oh, yeah. Um, by Brad Meltzer. And mm -hmm. um, uh, I have to say, it was not what I expected, but it's not um, it's not bad at all. And um, what I expected, I didn't really know what to expect. So um, it's kind of a good thing. It, I was wondering when I started it if it had any science fiction fa or fantasy content. Um, and uh, now that I finished it, I'm thinking not really. But oh. hmm. but. Um, you, you can't tell that from the start. And I I think my interpretation could be uh, the <laughs> incorrect interpretation. And, and um, it's still good, and I think uh, science fiction and fantasy fans will still like it quite a bit. Oh. Uh, because it, it talks a lot about um, some real-life uh, facts like the origins of Superman, uh, the Superman character. Um, and... Uh, the origins in in um, Joe Siegel's family, um, where where it happened uh, in his family that 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 character became necessary in a way, um, and it's got a terrific ending, which I I was not I was not I was not expecting, and it has a lot of twists and turns. You you know you you sort of pushed into different directions thinking where it's going um, and um, it didn't end up where I expected it to go so huh. that's that sounds it's long long story short it's a um, very interesting take um, it's more along the thriller line and you know how we were talking last week I guess it was about uh, mainstream um, this is more of a mainstream book it's um Brad Meltzer's more of a legal thriller sort of, um, you know, you pick him up on the uh, the line to uh, pick up your groceries. Um, mm -hmm. He's very popular, 
And um, so he's not coming at it from a science fiction point of view. He's coming at it from a legal thriller point of view. Um, it's not actually a legal thriller, but it's, it's still a thriller of some kind. Uh, ah. you know, a merry chase of um, characters uh, looking for something. It's, it's kind of like um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, in a way. Uh-huh. And, and I don't want to say any more than that without carefully wording it. <laughs> All right, but in the same way, Raiders of the Lost Ark is not uh, not fully fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this True. is not fully, fully um, uh, just a regular legal thriller. Mm-hmm. Sounds so good. I'll write up a review for that sometime soon. All right, great. Yep. Well, this week, uh, back to Orson Scott Card. This week, sure. I finished Ender in Exile. Oh, that was fast. The new, the new Ender. Oh, it was good. Yeah, I just heard his. Uh, there was an interview with him um, on a podcast uh, just yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was uh, on the Tor dot com podcast. Oh no, kidding! Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have to catch that. I've I've caught two interviews um, of him. I think um, they're both on his website. And uh, boy, he's got a lot going on. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So we we talked about the comics he's doing and. Um, we we yeah we did. oh yeah 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 okay I thought you mm-hmm. were like talking to him oh no 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 uh-uh. gotcha no the uh, yeah the uh, Ender in Exile it's 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 an interesting book because um, it's kind of a he called it a mid quill <laughs> mm-hmm. because the the timeline if you're familiar with the Ender series the the timeline is really messed up because of the relativistic effects of time travel so I don't think that's um, the only reason I think <laughs> I think I think that um, you know it's it's set it's set in between um, speak for the dead and uh, Ender's game and of course yeah, those are but the it, first and second books in the series so yeah but at the same time it's actually set between chapter 14 and 15 right. of Ender's game sorry yeah but but actually it's also a sequel to Shadow of the Giant which is the last book in the Shadow universe. Right, yeah. Because Ender, at the end of Ender's Game, um, takes a relativistic flight that takes 40 years real time, but only a couple of years of his time. Right. Um, all the events that happen in the Shadow series happen while he's in travel. So Ender is still 14 years old when he gets to this colony he goes to in this book. And um, all the events that happened in all the way, the four books, Ender's Shadow all the way through Shadow of the Giant, they all occurred while he was gone. Right. And uh, yet he's still young. So, But it is a sequel to that as well. So that's why it's an it's a odd book. Yeah. It's, it's being, I think that's what he said on the podcast um saying that it was increasingly difficult to keep track of what order you should read it in Mm -hmm. um if you were just starting the series uh uh-huh well i'm always a fan i I don't know i always read things in publication order if at all possible that makes sense to me yeah that's i mean no matter what the author says about what order they need to read it in that's what i always do i think that that's uh, that's probably the wisest in the sense that um I mean, unless unless they for some uh, they somehow published the first book second, 
right. you know, like yeah, um, so they had the other one written, right? And and it just didn't sell, and then and then they published this next one completely un text unaltered. Um, mm -hmm. Then I I think that has happened like one or two times in publishing history. Um, but yeah, I think publication order really has to be the only only logical way to. I mean, even you know. Uh, if you've got Tarzan of the Apes or something, and you, then you get a Tarzan pre prequel with Tarzan's parents, you still wanna you still wanna read um, yeah. at last. I think he was saying something about first meetings being, you know, uh, Ender's parents, um, and that mm -hmm. technically comes in the timeline before any other book. Um, yeah, yeah. He, still, I don't think you want to read that first. No, I don't think so either. Um, yeah, and the short, he's got a numerous short stories now since he did uh, the Intergalactic Medicine Show magazine. Right. He's been publishing short stories, uh, Ender short stories, you know, once a quarter, basically. Hey, so, what's, what's um, happened with their audio program? Are they not uh, doing audio in the last couple issues? No, I haven't, I haven't seen any, any audio in any of their issues um, since Bummer. the first couple. Yeah. Bummer. Yeah, that was, that was nice. Yeah. But there is an audiobook coming out called The Best of. Well, not The Best of. It. You know that Intergalactic Medicine Show anthology? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's come out on audio. Hey, is, know, it may, is it include it a Best of, including yours? No, it doesn't include mine, unfortunately. You're not the Best of, dude. I, well, it's not, a, it's not a Best of collection. It's just a collection. It doesn't I'm, say Best of. So oh, they're I waiting for the Best save. of then, so it's like the second <laughs> Best of. Yeah, they're, they're saving my story for uh, the ultra super Best of. Actually, you know... Um, best of decade. It didn't, it didn't come to mind um, last time we were talking about stories, but um, mm -hmm. I think that's exactly what I wrote about your story. Um, I was saying that it it, it was um, a, a great story, but not a great story uh, of science fiction. It was a great story of, of mainstream fiction using science fiction trappings, because the payoff is not a uh, science fiction one. There's lots of science fiction in sort of uh, uh, Lovecraftian horror um, elements, but it, mm -hmm. the, but that's not where the story was. <clears throat> that was uh -huh. where the the story was set. Yeah, I remember me saying that. something that, like that. Yeah, 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 I do. So, yeah, there so. you go. <laughs> I agree. And what we're talking about is a story I wrote called "Adrift," mm -hmm. and it's in issue two of the Intergalactic Medicine Show, making you uh, an officially semi-pro writer or pro writer, uh, <laughs> right? Of some kind. So I need got, to get got way. I need to get way more busy than I am now writing more. Mo busy, mo busy, mo busy. Mo busy. Yeah. <laughs> See, there's your voice actor. <laughs> That's not, not great. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> it was brilliant. Thank you, sir. Uh, you're welcome. But anyway, Ender in Exile. I highly recommend it. Um, okay. It's it's one of the it's one of the better books in the in in the entire series. So. Um, which to me says a lot because I love those books. That does say a lot. Um, if, if you if you look at it overall, um, you know the first three books of the whole Ender series. You know Ender's Game, and then Speaker for the Dead, and then Xenocide. I really liked all three of those a great deal, and it was uh, I found them really interesting because they're so different. You know Ender's Game is one type of novel, and Speaker for the Dead is a totally different type of novel. 
So I mean, if you if you like Ender's Game, it it doesn't mean that you're gonna like Speaker for the Dead. Right. He didn't write the same book again. Um, but they both won the Hugo and the Nebula Award in their respective years, which was interesting because they were so totally different. Right. And then um, Xenocide is a little more. Uh, there's one track of that book that's kind of a deep religious implications that I enjoyed that. Um, then um, Children of the Mind was the fourth one, and I was, you know, didn't think that it was wonderful. I, I thought it was fine, <laughs> you know, um, but I wasn't thrilled with it. And then it stayed there for a long time. And then he wrote Ender's Shadow, which was magnificent. Yeah, I read that um, one. I really loved it. Did you like it? I did. I did. Cool. I think I gave it a positive then, review, too. Yeah, I think so. And then he wrote Shadow of the Hegemon, which I was lukewarm about again. And then those volumes got successively more interesting, in my opinion. Um, Shadow of the Giant was excellent, which was the last one of those four. And then this Ender in Exile is wonderful as well. So, um, Yeah, they asked, uh, somebody asked him if he was going to do more, and um, the answer is probably yes, <laughs> because Tor, Tor loves them. So <laughs> they sell, he said, which is good for my family. Yeah, well, you just so, put an Ender, Ender thing on it, and somebody's going to be very yeah. excited. It is, yeah. But it's uh, it's well worth reading. He's not just churning stuff out. I He's think. a good writer. I think that's the, the, the key is he writes well, so uh-huh. the chances are that it's going to be um, a, a good story. Yeah. Um, there was a... Uh, what was that one from um, Mr. Audiobook? You know, the uh, uh, audiobook company... Um, to produce mm-hmm. just two, two uh, audiobooks, one by Orson oh, Scott yeah. Card. Oh, yeah. Eye for Eye was one. Eye for Eye? Yeah. Yeah, that was terrific. Yeah, it was really great. Anything yeah. coming that up won, in that uh, little company? That won a Hugo Award, I think. Really? Yeah, the the story, not the audio, but yeah. the, the story, yeah. And what was the, the Harlan Ellison one called? Uh, Run for the Stars. Boy, you got a great memory. Oh, I love those two. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I was so excited, you know, because, yeah, I listened to them both. I love little novellas wow, like that, and excellent. boy, they were terrific. Yeah. Uh, I wish that company was doing some more. more. I really like Yeah, them. me too. I'm not sure what happened there. Perfect. But. Like three CDs long. Wow. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a So great. refreshing over uh, the 40, 40-hour CDs. I've been listening to uh, Tony Smith talking about um, uh, <laughs> trying to get through Anathem. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, is he still listening? Yeah, he's still listening to an album, and uh, yeah, and I started that this week, and uh, it's big. Um, it, it is big, and it's um, I don't know, and you know, I, I listen to uh, Snow Crash mm-hmm. and the Diamond Age on audio. Mm-hmm. Absolutely terrific on audio. I think know. this might not be a great one for audio, and that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking because. They released uh, Quicksilver on audio, and I could not, for the life of me, get through that thing. Um, and it was it was a bridge too, but it was like a twenty-hour abridgment. Holy um, cow! Uh, uh, yeah. Now Quicksilver is the first book of its trilogy that, um, you know, I, a lot of people complained about it because it wasn't really science fiction. Um, but I've got all three books. You know, I haven't read them all yet, but um, it's more of a kind of an alternate history type of a thing, you know, or it may not even be alternate. It's got, you know, real people and um, characters in there, and he's he's making a lot of points about I'm not sure what. Right. But then Anathem, 
is, you know, the, the audiobook starts out with the, the reading of, um, in fact, hold on a second, because I actually have the hardcover book from the library, because I saw it at the library, and I said, oh, quick, hey, I'll pick it up. So I've got it here, <coughs> and the, the, the opening of the book is a timeline. It says, like, you know, 2850, Temple of Orathena, founded by Adracones, the right. father of geometry. They read all that. So you're like, you know, your eyes have glazed over because you have no idea, you know. You need that. You have no, it's just a list of uh, dates. And, yeah, um, but you need to be able to flip you back really don't to know. that. But, yeah, but it's something that in, a, in a, the hardcover book you can refer to. Right. And that's what um, Tony was saying. Um, oh, was it? Tony, Tony's re- listening to the audiobook of um, of uh, Anathaman, and uh, a friend of the show, uh, who I can't remember his name, he's on the engine room with Tony. Um, he's a narrator mm-hmm. for the show. Um, he's reading the paper version, and uh, they were comparing notes. And um, mm-hmm. it sounds like it would. It's one of the few books that should be uh, read in paper, even though. It's um, 900 pages mm-hmm. long. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I can't disagree. I'm two CDs in. And um, a little bit lost. You know, it's 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 hard to kind of hold on to the threads of uh, what he's doing. Right. Um, because the world is, is so odd and it's, and it's very complex. And it's... Um, yeah. Tony you know, was um, saying um, that he was really glad to have... Uh, a summary, because that explained a lot of the mm-hmm. book to him right. <laughs> from the other guy. Um, the uh, uh-huh. the it's it's like set in um, a, a planet full of um, monasteries, um, mm-hmm. a bunch of intellectual bookish people um, uh, in the monasteries, and every all the regular non-bookish people out in the regular world. Yeah, and they don't really meet up except very occasionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got to talk to uh, Bill DeFries just really briefly, and I said, "Man, that anathem was a uh, looked like a marathon." <laughs> and he said, "Yes, it was." Um, you know, I, I remember in the early days of that audiobook list. Um, it, it was right when we had started uh, SFF Audio, mm-hmm. and I had reviewed um, Red Mars for SF Site. Right, and then we talked to Richard Ferrone on. Um, I'm pretty sure it was you and I, um, just via email. Could have been. And uh, I asked him about Kim Stanley Robinson about because uh, he he read for recorded books. He did Red Mars, and uh, Green Mars and Blue Mars, and he said that was a tough thing to do, because um, those books are really excellent i mean i really in fact i I haven't read the the other two i've only read the red mars Mm -hmm. and um it is so densely packed full of stuff that i remember the comment i made when i reviewed it is it it just astounded me that one person had written this thing you know because the amount of research and, and the amount of stuff you have to know and the amount of things you need to be interested in to throw all that into one book was really amazing to me and um so you're reading a lot of descriptions, you know, and in Red Mars. And he said, yeah, that was that was a, a marathon because, you know, he had to read all three of them. Right. You know, so um, trying to make that not not dry, 
you know, because uh, the, the people that are interested in that um, are normally readers, you know. Yeah, it's it's not it's not a normal book, and I, I tried to sit down and read the paperback version. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think it was on a a summer day, and um, and I th- I said, you know what, I'm gonna have to save this for for a winter's night because mm-hmm. it's not it's not light reading material. It's very densely packed. Um, it's got a lot of, as you say, you know, description. And the characters, there's lots of characters. There's lots of um, uh, plot to follow. It's it's yes. not a uh, breezy novel. No, uh-uh. it is not. No. So, you know, with Anathem, um, back to Neil Stevenson, because Snow Crash and um, The Diamond Age were such wonderful audiobooks, and I highly recommend either of those two, um, because th- those... I mean, he's so quirky and um, stylistic, and it came through just fine in those two audiobooks. Um, the first one was read, the Snow Crash was read by Jonathan Davis, mm-hmm. and uh, The Diamond Age by uh, Jennifer Wiltsey, if I remember, um, who's a name that I, I don't know from anywhere else, no. but she was really fabulous. Because The Diamond Age is all Victorian. Um, have you read either of those? No, I haven't. Shame, okay. Shame anyway, they're 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 said. yeah, they're they're wonderful audiobooks. Absolutely great. No problem following those at all. In fact, they're uh, um, I would recommend them on audio. Mm-hmm. Um, but Anathem, I, I'm afraid, is is turning out more like Quicksilver, as far as um, you know how to listen to it, or or listening to it. It's not. Um, anyway, you know, I'm not going to give up on it or anything because. Heck, I may kind of read it and listen to it at the same time. I, don't I know. think that if if you've got a paper version, that might actually mm-hmm. make sense. You you have yeah. it there handy because um, there are, there are footnotes or something that are uh, not easy to handle. Yeah. Oh, remember a Cryptonomicon? The Cryptonomicon. Uh, they came out with unabridged excerpts of the novel. Is that? Um, Do you remember that? With William, it's Pitson? still available no. on Audible. Some, I mean, a lot of people complained about it, but um, right, 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 right. Yeah, that done that with Anathem. Yeah, that was from Fantastic Audio, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, rather than abridge the novel, you know, they weren't going to put out the whole thing. Yeah, they took uh, sections of the novel and read them unabridged, and then summarized in between. And uh, that was an interesting way to do it. Um, I thought it was appropriate for that book. I don't know how how else they could have done it other than coming out unabridged. But that book was a thousand pages long. Whoa! Whoa! Yeah, this. Yeah, he he has a lot to say. I Neil guess Stevenson. so. <laughs> and and then I'm going to say something. Nine hundred and what about his editor abridging it? Uh, not abridging it. Editing it. Um, and then oh, the editor says goodness. that is edited. <laughs> it was a four thousand page book before. Wow. I'm just looking through. In fact, I, I looked on the back page here to find out how long the book is. It's 935 pages. This is Anathem. And there are diagrams back here. Um, there are three three sections. Okay, there's a glossary. Right. It starts about page 900. And then um, there is something called Calca 1. Cutting the Cake, a supplement to Anathem by Neil Stevenson. And then um, there's all kinds of diagrams and stuff here. Yeah. Little mathematical puzzles and um, interesting. <laughs> but 
I don't see any way to translate these into audio, so I'm assuming they will be ignored. I would assume so. Yeah. Uh, have you ever um, read a book and then um, listened to it later on audio? Of course, of course. Yeah, sure. so we, we do that all the time. I find that a really good experience, too. Well, I think that's what what they used to say about the abridgments, you know, the two cassette mm-hmm. abridgments. Um, they said, well, people just, they, they want to experience the book again, um, mm-hmm. and this is another way for them to do that. So they don't, <laughs> that was their excuse for not abridging books well, was mm-hmm. like, um, it's not meant to be a book. It's meant to be an experience of the book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, two cassette so anathem, of a, anathem might be one of those. You, you know, if you, if you read it and then... I think that that makes that sense audiobook. in a way, yeah. yeah. But by the way, Bill DeFries is really uh, does a great job with it. He, he usually does a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I, I was considering... Um, uh, Scott Brick did the um, the Book of Lies, and I, I I sometimes I was thinking sometimes I'm not sure if it's the book who's who's making me feel a certain way or if it's Scott Brick, um, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, William DeFries is like that too. Um, sometimes I'm not sure who who is um, uh, eliciting the emotional response from me, if it's mm-hmm. uh, the narrator or the author, um, because. It it can like if you have read it in paper before and then you 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 hear someone else's interpretation of it, um, you can get a different emotional reaction from a scene that uh-huh. is probably due to the narrator. Oh, right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah I, I can't disagree with it. Yeah. 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 So yeah, Ender in Exile, by the way, was read by a whole team of people. Um, you know, Rudnicki's whole stable, or whatever you want to call him. <laughs> the hit team. I, I really like. I I love the way Rudnicki does audiobooks. You know, yeah, he's he, uh, he's uh, um. They're they're all. He's a really connoisseur, good. right? Yeah, for certain. Yeah. So, um, did you listen to that um, CBC documentary I uh, I posted about this week? Uh, CBC I podcast. Have not. It's um. I have not. Huh. Uh. It's called The History of English in 28 Minutes. and um, Yeah, you know, I saw that post, and I was like, well, that sounds interesting, but I haven't yeah, to it yet. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, SFF content is pretty low. Um, mm-hmm. It uses, um, you know, they say, oh, we only have 28 minutes, we better get the time machine out. And they uh, they travel back to, um, not ten, just 1066, but well before that, and talk about all the different you know, invasions that basically caused English to come to be. Oh, uh, neat. Yeah, and uh, and then we get um, the sort of standard, uh, I don't know, uh, introduction to uh, uh, Old English, so we get to hear some Beowulf and some Canterbury Tales, uh, mm-hmm. and, um, and lots of little side trips here and there um, to see uh, all the additions of new words and new word sounds into um, English. And uh, it's not really a, um, a, st- a regular new kind of post for us, but I, I wanted to put it on there just because it um, it's kind of interesting to, to sort of understand where where the words come from. I mean, I, I do it all day long looking things up in the dictionary, but um, 
just uh, when you're listening to an old fantasy novel or a new fantasy oh. novel, and they're they're you know giving characters names, um, if the, if those names don't have a consistent um, naming scheme, you know if they're not all from the same language root, um, you'll get a sort of a dissonance that doesn't doesn't match. Um, just for some reason, you can't tell what's wrong. Mm-hmm. But really, what it is is you know the author is not following some sort of consistent pattern, and I find that that's more common with you know the Tolkien clones rather than um, something that happens in science fiction. It's more of a, a you know sword and sorcery fantasy problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I would like to listen to that. Well, go for it. It's a podcast. I will do it. Yeah. I've got a lot to listen to. You're adding more to my podcast. Sorry. I've still got to listen to Conan. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, um, right, I think right after uh, last uh, last podcast, I posted a story about uh, the Hour of the Dragon podcast. This uh-huh. is the only novel written by Robert E. Howard. Um, mm-hmm. uh, somebody picked up our... Uh, picked up the challenge from second S- second SFF audio challenge um, is now podcasting the hour of the dragon which is a the only uh, novel written by Robert E. Howard also the only um, uh, Conan novel and um, he's just started off and um, he's uh, still researching the correct pronunciations of a few things but it sounds pretty good, good. That's what I want that is good mm-hmm Hey, check out, um, uh, we've got a review there by um, Julie of a book called Already Dead, which um, right, I remember really, really enjoyed the review. It was read by Scott Brick, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, anyway, it's kind of a noir detective novel with vampires and zombies in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. I've never so read a Charlie uh, Houston novel. Huston novel? No. Before? Yeah, Charlie Charlie Houston. I, I think, think it's Huston. It's H U S T O N. Huston. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. But yeah, she's she was comparing anyway, it to nice Elmore Leonard and nice um and um uh she was saying double indemnity with Billy Wilder, uh, Raymond Chandler, um mm-hmm. and that'd be James M. Kane too, who's sort of the the granddaddy of um, modern noir. Oh. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it sounds it sounds like a good uh, good one. How'd she end up with that in her hands? Uh, she's got well, January she Dancer. It. She took already dead. <laughs> she, hey, you you get the list. Except for January Dancer never hit the list, but the, the already dead was on the list. Yeah, but see, I, I thought I thought when we we brought her on that she wouldn't be stealing all the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I will talk to her about that. Thank you. We can. Yeah. Send her some things that are not good. Yes, it's, make her make her review some of the boring ones. Okay. All right, we'll do. Thanks. We'll do. Yep. <laughs> hey, and speaking of uh, interesting ones, um, my son posted uh, his first review. Too. Yeah, and what a good little um, review it is. I I, I really great. I think he did a really good job, and uh, I'm oh, assuming good. you you give him some help there. Is that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, yeah, good. a little bit. He said, you know, this is what you need. But to not get added. not much. I mean, he all those words are his, really. Yeah, it's really well done. So, yeah, well, good. Yeah, he's got another one coming out next week um, of a YA book. Um, oh, what was it called? Simon Bloom. Uh-huh. Uh huh. 
Simon Bloom, something about gravity. <laughs> okay. Anyway, that, that, that'll that be posted probably Tuesday. Looking forward to that. Yeah. I really like the cover on the, uh, the uh, Elantris. Yeah, me well. too. That was really, really nice cover. And yeah, and it's not I the really one... I really like what they're doing with uh, this uh, sci-fi audio imprint. Right. Ordered books. Yeah, me too. Have you checked out their new stuff lately? I haven't. You know, I also haven't seen what's new with uh, Audible, and I know that that's gone, that means probably thirty or forty things have gone by. Oh yeah. Which which yeah, is I found me- a, I found an RSS feed. If you go to Audible, there's an RSS feed where they'll post everything that's new. We should. And then you can kind definitely of uh, put that in. Keep your eye on it. Sure. Oh, no, yeah. Right. I've, okay. Yeah. I've I've uh, put it on my reader. Good. I want that. Um, let's see, just some new things. The the newest stuff on the recorded books sci-fi imprint um, is "Love in the Time of Fridges" by Tim Scott. Don't know that one. Don't know that one either. "Deluge" by Anne McCaffrey and Elizabeth Ann Scarborough. Forty Signs of Rain" by Kim Stanley Robinson, also narrated by Richard Ferrone. Now that one, earlier. that one I know. Um, uh, that came out a couple of years ago, at least. But um, mm-hmm. that was, uh, I think, the second-to-last book he, he did. Um, hmm. Kim Stanley Robinson. Okay. Another um, environmental... Um, I think that's the one with polar bears loose in, in Washington, D.C. Oh. D.C. got flooded or something, and the the zoo animals escaped. And I uh-huh. think... Yeah, I think that's the one. Oh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I know it is environmental. Yeah, um, he's, he's, he's really into was, that. And he yeah, always and has been, you know. After it. Yeah, he has, even Red Mars. No, well before that, too. Oh. Okay. Yeah, like uh, the first novel I read by him, uh, Pacific Edge, I think it was called. Uh, very, mm-hmm. very good. Very um, ahead of its time and well-written. Um, utopian uh, science fiction. Um, uh, utopian dystopian uh, science fiction. Hmm. Great. Really good stuff. Yeah. Okay. There, they've got another Haldeman uh, coming out on December nineteenth. I want that. The coming, the coming by Joe Haldeman. The well, coming. I'll check with Julie to see if she wants no! it. No. <laughs> that's nice. Oh, You're so mean. That's good stuff. Okay. Um, Dust by Elizabeth Bear. This is uh, at least the second Elizabeth Bear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think I previewed that or mentioned it on uh, the uh, Elizabeth Bear website. Uh, no. Okay. The Elizabeth Bear uh, subpage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mentioned that they had, they had picked up two. All right, and then we got one called uh, the last one is looks like it won't be released till January twenty third, but it's called Moth Storm, the Horror from Beyond. Written by Philip Reeve. Mm. Um, yeah, I, have, I really. This one, I really have no idea. I'm clicking on it here to see if I. Oh, it's a young adult book. Uh, author of the widely acclaimed Lark Light books, Philip Reeve won the Golden Nestle Smarties Book Prize. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> I didn't that, know about that book prize. Well, you know what? And I bet that's the, cash money. It might be, yeah. And, and you know what? Shortlisted, yeah. That's the real kind of awards. You know, I, I keep. I, I was listening to uh, Tony Smith's got his own awards uh, for. Yeah, he's just had a that. year of uh, podcasts, and he's had some great stuff on his podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just think back to the 
the original set of um, what was it, 2006 um, Hugo's uh, he had on his show, and he's had some terrific sh- stuff on there. It's gonna, I mean, it's gonna be a, a hell of a competition to see what the best stuff is. You know, the mm-hmm. best short story, best um, uh, flash fiction, best poetry, all that stuff. But uh, long story short, um, his award is just an award, you know, an award in name only. A real award is an award of cash money. <laughs> That's big bucks. You know where you put your you put your money where your mouth is. You know the Booker Prize mm-hmm. is a is an actual prize. The uh, the um, the prize money actually makes a difference to the author, and the author says, "Yes, I won money." You know, awesome, <laughs> sweet. Yeah. So. Um, yep. Um, that, that's why we don't have a prize. We have a we have an, a, a designation, you know, essential designation. It's not a prize because it's not an uh-huh. award because um, we we got no money to give you. But if we did, you bet. You know what I want out of those six titles? Um, I want "Love in the Time of Fridges" by Tim Scott. It's a good title, <laughs> and I it's I, narrated I, I, by by George Wilson. Oh, I haven't and, heard uh, from him in a while. That'll be good. Yeah, so he's still active. Um, it says in, it's a hilarious science fiction novel. Da-da-da. Booklist calls him one of the genre's most promising and original new voices in years. It's uh, in a strange world where living refrigerators exist like her- in herds, like <laughs> wild animals. Seattle has become a coddled city beset by irrational fears. Enter ex-cop Huckleberry who's about to see his life take a turn for the weird when he stumbles into a dangerous conspiracy and the fridges become his only friends. Wow. Now I want I, I that wanna, one, too. I want to I wanna listen to that. That is really yeah. strange. Anticipated release December 19th. <laughs> that is really strange. You know, strange. Recorded Books um, has finally, this year, they finally uh, ended up on Audible. Yeah, yeah. So, finally. Audible's got just about everybody now. Just about. They're uh, they're really good. Um, I was talking to uh, Steen. You know, Steen's back. Uh, he's back mm-hmm. in the neighborhood for a month. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I I was telling him uh, this wonderful idea I had um, to solve the DRM uh, problem. Um, so one of the one of the really big issues with DRM is not um. It's not that um, DRM is inherently evil. It's that its application always ends up making it evil. Um, and one of the good examples is, um, so there's the Zune store, you know, for um, uh, Microsoft Zune. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's basically a very parallel thing to iTunes. But Zune isn't doing the business that iTunes is doing. And um, when you buy a song from iTunes or you buy a um, an audiobook from iTunes, you own it only in the sense that you have access to it. But if iTunes goes under, you no longer have access to your own file. True. Yeah. Um, if you if um, if they turn off the servers for uh, the Zune store, you lose access to the music that you've purchased. Mm-hmm. So what this is what this is doing this is a um, this is a change in the ownership model of uh, products right that they what the the companies are saying is we're, we don't actually own um, 
the the songs. What we own is uh, uh, a, a license to listen to the songs for an indefinite period, uh, depending mm-hmm. on how long the company keeps the servers on or how how interested you are in uh, you know trying to break it out of the DRM. And even right. then, um, that's Ill- illegal under some proposed legislation. Um, so the real problem here is, is by changing that a- access, um, we're changing what the meaning of ownership is. Um, so mm-hmm. I was thinking this is a, this is, uh, there is a way around this. Um, so if you have a stable system that's not going to go out of business, if Audible doesn't go out of business, which is impossible because everything goes out of business, governments and countries and species mm-hmm. at some point, um, you want to find the, the most stable system, the, the one that doesn't go away. Um, corporations go out of business much faster than a lot of uh, things come and go. Um, uh-huh. So I was thinking this is a job of government. This should be a, a government job. Um, basically treating it like a universal library where we have access uh, to government servers. If, if you want to keep DRM so that people um, can have access to their files for an indefinite time, government is the best uh, keeper of those files. What do you think of this so far? Well, it's interesting, except for um, having it to be a government function. I knew you would say that. <laughs> How did you know that? Well, two reasons. Number yeah. one, um, pe- people generally think that government is not uh, good at anything. Um, and number two, you're an American, and you definitely think that government is not <laughs> good at anything. Well, I, um, I definitely have reasons for that at this point. Well, I can, but, uh, I can sort of see what you're saying there. However, um, let me give you um, uh, a counter, counterclaim to that. Um, uh, do you think your local library is good at keeping books? Sure, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they do a good job of not losing most of the books that they're given. Mm-hmm. Um, that'd be what I'd be talking about. So, if you want to have access mm-hmm. to... Um, what you do is when you buy a file, right? You buy an audiobook from Audible. Um, the uh-huh. audiobook should be available not from the only uh, on the Audible servers, but at your local library server. And when Audible goes out of business, um, it suddenly takes all the DRM off of the uh, the uh, audiobook and hmm. leaves it at your local library so you still have access to it so that you can download it. I'm not talking about having a hard copy, just, just a downloadable version just like the Audible server has. Because uh-huh. really, um, after the the company goes out of business. There's no way for them to sue you. So why mm-hmm. would why would we want to continue the, um, you know, the inaccessibility? Um, I just I mean, you'd still have to have you know your personal identity number or whatever. But um, the models for uh, digital distribution can be found, I think, very interestingly in um, in uh, video games. So there's a new game coming from. EA coming from next year called uh, Battlefield Heroes. This is going to be a uh, free game. Mm-hmm. It's um, massively multiplayer or something similar. You know, at least 60, 60 players like Battlefield 2. But um, it's going to be a free game distributed 
digitally. They make their money by selling you in-game features. This is uh-huh. how they do games in Asia very popularly. Um, the game is free, but you pay for access to uh, premium services within the game. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a game in Korea, South Korea, called Sudden Attack. This is, if you talk to any Korean kid, they, they all know this game very well because they're all playing it. This game is uh, available only by typing in what's the equivalent of your social security number. You type in your social security number if you're old enough to play it. Um, you can download the game. Um, if you're if you're like uh, 12 years or under, there's no blood. <laughs> when you turn 16 mm-hmm. or something, it turns the blood on, right? But <laughs> um, but the main point of the the you know it's a first-person shooter. The main way they make money is by um, selling you in-game services like access to premium weapons and such. Um, this is a really efficient way to distribute the game. Makes the game extremely popular. Um, and it also saves, you know, thousands and thousands of wasted dollars that would be going to making CD copies and doing disc checks and all the stuff that's involved in in a regular disc uh, access. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a similar service uh, for digital distribution uh, in video games, PC games, uh, on a service called Steam, which is a way of delivering... Um, games like Fallout 3 and um, uh, you know, any of the other um, Half-Life game style games um, to your desktop without buying the di- physical disc. You just go to Steam, you put in your credit card, you buy the game. Mm-hmm. But Steam is DRM. It just is DRM that's transparent. It works well. So DRM is is evil only because it makes something that you own inaccessible, right? We call that evil because that's stealing stealing something that you already own. If I can't get access to something that I bought because the company's, you know, thrown away the not just the key but thrown away the the box that they were keeping the item in, um, I'm I'm mad. Uh-huh. So one way to solve this is make all the files that are being downloaded, you know, access to the new movie, um, put on a server. Once you've paid for it, you know, scan in your receipt or how about this, uh, you get a unique uh, identity key from the company that you bought the product from. So if you wanted to watch Wally, right, when you buy the, mm-hmm. buy the disc, uh, oftentimes they now have a digital copy of the film with it. How about this? You just buy the buy access to the thing, and download it from uh, us. You know your local library where they actually have a copy that's not going to go away when Disney goes bust or some other company goes bust. How's okay. that? <laughs> well, it's still not um, allaying your fears of governments screwing things up. <laughs> no, a go- government is definitely not good at stuff. You know that's for certain. But I mean, the concept of of that. Um, I, I guess it's not something that I'm terribly concerned about. You know, if, uh, okay. if you know the, the most important thing to me, I keep. What's that? Of all the audio audible files you have, all the audio <coughs> audiobooks. Uh huh. If Audible went out of business tomorrow, what would happen to them? 
Well, they'd be gone, but That's right. the ones the ones that are important to me, I still have. Audible exclusives, all the Audible exclusives. Do no, I I don't, I, I don't think I collect like you do, but I mean I, I keep my favorite ones. You'd be keeping them. In you know, I remember reading one time Corey Corey Doctorow was mentioning that, you know, he was converting all of his stuff to uh, MP3, and sometimes he's got two computers busy doing right. that at once. Right. Um. I, I don't know that I would do that, but uh, no, I understand what you're saying, though. I but mean, see, I, I think that's the need. The need to have a central place, but why can't you do that yourself? I guess is my question. That's the point. Is is uh, if we are doing that ourselves, that's a, a huge waste. I mean, think of how many how many millions of man hours are wasted in doing something that shouldn't have to be done. Um, you mm-hmm. know, converting converting uh, audible files to be playable on. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. So if DRM, if DRM didn't exist, then you wouldn't. This wouldn't be an issue, right? No, it wouldn't. Yeah. Because because it would be available on a server somewhere else, right? But the point is, is if I I I, I just finished the uh, the Starship series number three called uh, Mercenary, I think, mm-hmm. um, by Mike Resnick. This is only available through Audible.com. Um, right. I don't have. I, I have a, a copy on my hard drive right now but if i did a you know a clean install um i'd have to download the game and uh, not the game i'd have to download yeah. the copy again from the audible right. service if audible went out of business tomorrow i would suddenly lose access you wouldn't to be able to do that you'd have to have it saved somewhere and what you're saying is if everybody has that same book saved that's a really a waste of time and money no i'm not even saying if everybody has it saved if i don't have it saved right mm-hmm. if, if i get a new computer tomorrow um, because this one's busted, the hard drive's busted, and Audible's out of business. I have no access to something I own. Sure. And that's not because um, uh, because um, it's physically impossible. It's because um, I didn't do all these extra steps to to make it accessible. Um, it's uh, I mean think think of it this way: um, if if books were published on paper that you know turned yellow and black and then black within 30 days of purchasing um we wouldn't have shakespeare you know um and sure. this is a this is a bad thing um libraries have traditionally been the places where we store these things um uh i mean in a way it's incredibly inefficient to, to go to best buy and buy a copy of wally on dvd it's much easier mm-hmm. just to download a copy from from iTunes, but if iTunes goes bust, I mean it's it, it's well bit, iTunes it, iTunes doesn't let you re-download anything anyway. It, it's up to you when you when you buy a copy of say Wally and you I download right, it, that right. is yours to deal with. They they don't allow you to download it again. I think there's no I think way you may be it. right about that. I don't know about iTunes um, audiobooks though. Is that true? From the um, audio store? Yeah, as far as I know, it's true with everything they've got. Wow. You know, they, they Audible you, keeps, keeps it. You have still have yeah, that. Audible, Audible keeps it in a list, and you can go in there and download it again. Wow. I, yeah. Well, I, 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 I've never bought an audiobook through iTunes, but now I never will. Because uh-huh. um, I can tell you, computers, uh, you know, people's hard drives crash, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they make it really clear that, hey, this is yours to deal with, and... Say so, yeah. If you want a backup of this, you need to back it up. But that's fact, it, that's it gives stupid. you it pops up a message and says that. That's stupid. I mean, if once once I buy, um, you know, 
um, the uh, Beatles album. I don't want to keep buying Ebel, uh, Beatles albums for the next 60 years. Mm-hmm. I would just want to have and access. That's, that's a problem, too. I mean, I mean, how many times have you bought, um, I don't know, uh, before DVDs, you know, there was VHS tapes. So and Laserdiscs. You bought something on VHS, yeah, and so you bought something on that, and then you maybe bought it again on VHS. But, but that's a real false economy. It's a real false mm-hmm. economy. And one of, the, one of the things we're just starting to worry about now is, um, you know, I, if you have access to Adobe Photoshop because you own a copy, uh, when you when you die, who 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 gets to have that? Uh, it's part of your estate. But if nobody mm-hmm. has the password except for you because you forgot it and you didn't write it down, then nobody really has access to it. Part of your estate is missing. Um, yeah, yeah. And digital digital estates are becoming something uh, actually of importance because more and more of our wealth is is protected not by um, you know a lock and key in your house but by a password and uh, access to a server that you may or may not know about that your, mm-hmm. you know your family members have. Um, so these these things are uh, in the forefront. But if you if it comes to stability. Um, we we put faith in our governments to keep the dollar solid. Um, and True. no matter how bad governments get, um, at least in North America, uh, we still don't suddenly switch to another form of currency. We don't say, you know what, that peso is outperforming the uh, the dollar. I think I'll switch to that. Governments can do things right, even though that's very popular to say they can't. Um, mm-hmm. uh, in in a case where um, you've got uh, just the access of a library and a digital downloading system, it's not impossible for government to do a good job. It just seems unlikely, given that you know a gun registry is a massive you know bureaucracy. It might scare people. This is not the same thing. This is not a um, you know, we're we're not trying to prevent people downloading things digitally illegally. What we're trying to do is make sure people who have legal access to something don't lose access to it. And you could do that mm-hmm. by you know charging a, a fee, or you could do that by charging a fee to the corporations that produce the yeah. And, content and, and I mean, therefore, well, I guess I see your point. But it, I mean, if you're going to charge a fee. For people to use it, why not have a company do it? Because the whole point is the company will go, go out, out of business. Out of business, right? But what government, if the government never goes, goes out of business? business. <laughs> uh, that's happened in Somalia. Um, uh-huh. uh, Canada's government has been going for two hundred years, and uh, the U.S. government has been going something like that as well. Mm-hmm. It, they are not tending to go out of business too frequently. You know, the well, U.S. Army not. has not suddenly. Uh, <laughs> disappeared overnight they might lose a few things their toilets might cost ten thousand dollars each but they don't tend to go out of business Mm -hmm. once something started that generally is not taken away and it doesn't have to be you know one hard drive in ottawa or washington that keeps keeps a copy of everything this is just a community you know uh community server firm Right, that is administered by um, access through through a governmental system. Just so, just so digital copies don't. I mean, we spend thousands of dollars on 
CD backups and DVD backups to backup things we already own. This is not very efficient. It's not going to be the new trend. I mean, the new trend is to download it from the company server. But if mm-hmm. if the company goes out of business, it becomes abandonware. You know, you can't, you know, you can't get access to it except through um, hard copies that are out there on on people's hard drives, and mm-hmm. that's not an efficient way to do it. Sure. Okay. Well, so well, I got really that. sidetracked here. I'm sorry about that. That's all right. <laughs> but I, it right. just came to me that. Um, the one way to, if you want to have DRM, you have to make it accessible um, mm-hmm. for when the company goes out of business and the DRM is still hurting access. Yeah, I would much rather just not have DRM. But it's 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 possible it's going to go that way, but I don't see that mm-hmm. happening um, in a smooth transition like in six months or something. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say. Yeah. Um, speaking of DRM. Uh, I talked to Steve Feldberg of um, Audible. Um, Audible, uh-huh. yeah, and I uh, I asked him if uh, the Starship um, Book Four in the Mike Resnick series is going to be out, and he said mid December, so Ooh, pretty good. soon. Yeah, uh, really Terrific. serious. You uh, you should get this first book yeah, series because I guarantee you'll like it. Yeah, it sounds good. Sounds real good. I'm a Resnick fan too. I just I just think he's great. The more I read by him, the better I like him. Yeah, and uh, like I was saying, it's not a um, it's not a hard science fiction in any way. It's space opera with no original science fiction ideas, but um, mm-hmm. doesn't make it not good. He's a good writer. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.